thanks for tuning in to the Writers of Color Reading Series, a podcast presented by the Englert Theater and hosted by me, Chirentadia. Elegy for Eulogies I realized only recently that those of us who remember September remember it differently. Something to do with age at the time and personality and relative proximity to the tragedies, but I remember how we mourned. The gravity of all that falling resting on our shoulders with a heaviness we were sure we'd never know again. So when everybody started dying, I thought for certain we'd hold each other. But we are 400 days and 530,000 precious worthy souls into this pandemic, more if you consider the universe, and we have not stopped yet. I pray this is still a place where the things that happen to us and to others can change us. For all the sadness, I live with the hope of being rearranged. just heard Elegy for Eulogies by Micah Ariel James. It's so awesome to have you join us. Micah Ariel James is a playwright, uh, some of those plays being Four Stories, How We Buried the War Dead, Better Weather, The Honey War. She is also a poet, producer, dramaturg, and a teaching artist with particular interests in aging and memory studies, oral history, and restorative justice. She's also an arts administrator committed to developing and facilitating arts programming with an eye towards helping artists discover new art approaches to creating meaningful engagement with campus and community partners and to making the arts more accessible to all audiences. Micah received an MFA in theater arts for playwriting from the University of Iowa and a BA in playwriting from Columbia College, Chicago. How are you doing, Micah? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah. How are you? I think we're in the same boat as like, these are just crazy, crazy times and it's very busy and very like not weirdly not busy, but also busy. So <laughs> could we talk a little bit about that, that first piece, um, Elegy for Eulogies and and if there's like, you know, you don't have to go too deep into it, but if there's anything that you want the listener to, to take from it. Yeah. So sometime last year, kind of in the thick of everything, I got this line in my head that is not in this poem, but it's where this poem started, which is on the other side of this, we will all be poets. And maybe someday that'll end up in a poem. But I was thinking about what the experience of collective loss and fear and and this thing that we're all going through what 2020 was for so many of us and realizing that feeling is a feeling some of us have experienced before to some degree around you know September 11th and that that sense of just this is unbelievable what do we do with these numbers how do we process this mass loss like I said that line so far has not ended up in anything but that was my starting point for kind of exploring what it means to deal with all that's happening and kind of linking those two the the emotions that came from both of those two experiences as someone who you know, lived through September 11th, wherever I was, um, and is living now. Yeah. And if you could give the listeners, maybe just like a primer on, on who you are specifically on like, 
what your journey was to get to here, to Iowa City, and to kind of like our writing community. Yeah, I would consider myself primarily a playwright um, of the art forms that I dabble in. I would say I'm I'm primarily a, a playwright, a theater maker. I ended up in Iowa because I went to undergrad at Columbia in Chicago, and I was studying playwriting there. I'm the type of person I've been writing my whole life, basically. And when I was in high school, I finally got the chance to turn what I loved about writing fiction, which is what I started out writing, got to turn that into my favorite parts of it, which was just the dialogue. And so in high school, I really started to focus on dialogue. I ended up going to an arts high school, studying playwriting in undergrad, then going on to study playwriting in grad school. So one of those weirdly direct paths and grad school, I went to the University of Iowa and that is, that's what brought me here. And so I have been a part of the Iowa City arts community for 10 years now. And I've been really lucky to meet some really phenomenal people over the years. Some part of that within grad school, but then also being able to connect with folks outside of the university who have come to to call this place home, this community home. A big part of why I was excited about coming to Iowa when I was going to grad school, and I say excited, I was also super nervous about it because I had come from bigger communities, but I was excited about the possibility of being kind of off of the, the radar in terms of big cities. Like I liked the idea of of really digging into a community and being connected to individuals. One of the things that's been really interesting for me to, to interview so many different people is to see this kind of relationship that all these different writers have with Iowa City, with this section of the country specifically, right? I mean, it's a, it's a scene, right? It has its like pros and cons. It has its ups and downs. It's it's not as big, which some people are like, and other people are like, oh yeah, that, you know, or like, it's interesting to see people that might have had certain expectations that once they get here, they're like, no, this is actually, this is actually kind of fine, you know? Yeah, yeah I definitely had the experience of being concerned that this place would be too small and then leaving and missing the the smallness of it Um, because it was like oh it's not actually that small (laughs) that small when you think about it just knowing when I leave when I have traveled for for work for conferences I'm always like I want to go back to the place where you can see like a thousand miles into the distance (laughs) and like and it's it is truly something I was concerned about when I left Chicago coming from undergrad straight into grad school I was thinking about the loss of public transportation which there's public transportation here but I mean in Chicago I used that that's how I got around all the time and that's how I would discover characters for some of my plays and just sitting on the bus, you know, going to going to school or going to work or something and just seeing people doing interesting things. And I thought, what if I can't see those people? And what it brought out of me, I, I realized I had to be deliberate about going to, to see people or pursuing inspiration in other ways. Mike, we have so much more to talk about, but we have these different readings that we want the listeners to hear that you've you know, provided for us. So the second piece um, is called The Girl, and let's go ahead and listen. The Girl. 
Under bridges, in corners, atop roofs, near the shores, down corridors, under sheets, in forests, behind doors, I can't help but... Once I thought I saw you at the gas station. You were buying a pack of Now and Laters and two packs of Skittles, and I was buying two packs of Now and Laters and one pack of Skittles, and I remember wondering at the odds that two girls who were probably the same age, exactly the same height, and similarly clothed and complexioned, would also share an appetite for foods that rot your teeth. Only it wasn't you, just a girl who looked like you and like me and sort of had your essence. I say this, of course, having never met you, having only seen your photograph on the wall of our local post office, having only been introduced to you via the local news channel's missing child alerts. They say you disappeared in your sleep or something, just packed a bag and walked away while your mother and brother and father prepared to wake with broken hearts. They say someone saw you walking along the highway at four o'clock that morning, saw you but didn't think to stop or to call someone, didn't think to ask what such a young girl might be doing walking along the highway at four o'clock in the morning, alone, in the dark, in the rain, at four o'clock in the morning, you were nine then. So was I. Today you would be, or are, 30-something, as am I, and you are still vanished, still missing, still disappeared, still invisible, and still, there are times I, under bridges, in corners, atop roofs, near the shores, down corridors, under sheets, in forests, behind doors, because maybe, maybe... What struck me about that, I, you talked earlier about this idea of writing dialogue and there's those lines where you wanted to like fill in the blank for for the piece or you wanted to like finish the sentence of it. And I, I think that I could see that phenomenon of you being like interested in dialogue and you being interested in, in communication between people and that, that really got through with that piece. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the thing for me about that piece is, I mean, it's true. It's a, it's, there is, there's a girl who went missing in North Carolina where I grew up, not too far from me, who, you know, we looked alike on paper, you know, matching descriptions, both had a brother and she just disappeared. And it's those stories that stick with you. Like if you ask anybody, what's some random news story from childhood that pops into your head? I, I think we all have them. Even now, like she could be absolutely anywhere. And so my mind does at random points go like, how weird would it be if I saw her at the grocery store? I'm speaking of that poem in specific, but I think that that's one of the things uh, with poetry for me specifically, but uh, also just with writing more generally, that there are all these things that end up getting pulled from all over because I use writing to process things. And so kind of all of these these ideas about how we take the things that go on around us and how they impact us and how we put it into our writing so that other people can be impacted and also share in the ways that they have experienced whatever difficulty or happiness or whatever the thing is. That's one of the things that I think is the most special about art is that it's meant to invite other people to engage with it. Shortly after grad school, 
I had the opportunity to um, do some volunteer work with a program in Texas that was for the families of missing people. We went to a retreat site and I think it was maybe two two days long. I spent with families whose children were missing and did poetry exercises with them. That remains one of the most profound experiences I have ever had. One of the exercises I had them do was a, was a dedication poem. And the lines that kept emerging was people directing it to their other children. People often, I think, think of the parents in these situations. And the parents are having to think of not just their kid who's missing, but other kids, other parts of the families. And so thinking of the ways that for the first time, some of them were able to stop and be direct about their engagement of of the rest of their families. That's part of the reason that it was so special too. Well, yeah, that's, it's incredible. And if you could describe, if you're willing, kind of your, your work with the prison industry complex or, you know, the way that Iowa, like the statistics with like, you know, incarceration with Iowa, I know that's always like fascinated you. I mean, Iowa is a complicated place, much like a lot of places. And I think while I have really benefited from being here and being a part of an arts community, there are things that are undeniable about the state and everything that has gone on here over the years. I think one of the things you're, you're referencing is is a project that I'm also working on with our friend Miriam Alarcon Avila that is focusing on the striking prison statistics about the disproportionate prison population in the state of Iowa. While the numbers have slightly adjusted from their peak, Iowa holds the record for the most disproportionate prison population ever of black to white prisoners. It's it's extremely wild. And, and it's also things like that reflect so much on everything that is going on here. The disproportionate prison population, those sorts of numbers extend out to the entire United States. And so being able to take a step back from that and say, how did we get to those extreme numbers? And what does it mean that the numbers are what they are? Using the arts to do that has so much potential to engage people who can make change. Yeah, because that's something that I I think about often, which is this this idea of of data and the numbers, it can just become noise. And the reason why I think we're drawn to writing, storytelling, or, or or just like empathy. It's like if you tell the story or if you get this direct like, hey, this is why these numbers are messed up. I think you it can it can grab a hold of somebody or like smack somebody across the face more than just being like you can't really put your finger on it until you say like and here's the story of one of those people or here's here's how it happens, you know, or or here's here's our best example of why it's happening too, which I think is is it can get lost in all the the right. Food. Yeah, it's 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 on artists to activate statistics in order to make people care. Before we we tee up this this last piece, can we talk a little bit about the the project that you just did with the folks like in Des Moines? Yeah, so uh, I I just completed work on a project that just finished its its virtual run at the Des Moines Playhouse that was called Nature of the Dream, where I was able to collaborate as dramaturg and co-producer 
uh, with Miriam Randolph and a whole team of really, really wonderful folks uh, that was focused on telling the stories of Black Iowans, uplifting the voices of Black Iowans. You know, it was Miriam's brainchild and she really did a, a phenomenal job of assembling a talented group of artists from diverse backgrounds who all agreed that it was important to to highlight these stories and to to celebrate these experiences. So that had a a, a nice two week run at the Des Moines Playhouse. Who knows where it'll go from from there? But it was great to be able to collaborate with folks even in Des Moines, and that's one of the things that probably would not have been possible if not for our current virtual life. Micah, it's a pleasure working alongside you and and talking a little bit in in this kind of different type of of format, but I look forward to working alongside you some more and seeing all the different projects and everything else you got going on too. Absolutely, thank you. Thank you for having me. In the next gallery, there will be light, constant. Bright blues on ceilings will tempt eyes upward where poet, philosopher, peasant scholars will dangle like chandeliers, shining kindly, gently, looking wise and waiting to be asked something great. While down below, patrons in church suits and ball gowns and aprons and jumpsuits will crowd around stages filled with ideas and the children who have them. The children with the history of our people etched into their bones, with the hope of a thousand generations resting perilously on the tips of their tongues, and too will crowd their mothers and fathers and uncles and aunts and cousins, each with a finger on the trigger of a flashlight, each ready with extra batteries for when the lights go out. to Micah Ariel James. I'm sure that it came through, but Micah is one of my favorite people, full stop. So I I very much appreciated our conversation. Now it's time for our community prompt. And there's something that Micah said that hit me like a a truck, really, like that gut punch, right? She said one of the, the lines that inspired her first piece was, on the other side of this, we will all be poets talking specifically about this past year and this pandemic, social, everything, right? So take a moment to really reflect on this last year. I mean, I think we'll be talking about this for the rest of our lives, but at this moment, we're the closest to it that we'll ever be, right? In a very pragmatic way. It's it's now. So I think it's worth it to, to write about that, to document that experience. Allow yourself to be a poet as we hopefully get to the other side of things. Uh, some things you can, to make it a little bit more specific, you can talk about, you know, was there any loss or sacrifice that you had to do? Was there any uprooting or, I mean, even just like the bizarreness of your day-to-day? 
Was there any good that shone through in the last 12 months? We'd love to hear anything that you generate, anything that you write or record or document. Again, you can send your responses to podcast at englert.org, and we'd love to hear them. Once again, this is Chuy Denteria. See you next time. Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Englert. To learn more, visit englert.org slash friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peers United States Regional Arts and Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.